bring that back. Well, I want to bring back Oh My Stars. Oh My Stars. You guys, she's on fire today. Don't get her started. Look, welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where you, one of my favorite, favorite people in the world, Ellen Marsh, and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episodes that covered their case on IDs Disappeared. Girl, how do you think we're doing so far? We're, we're at episode 12? Well, I can't, first of all, I can't believe we're on episode 12. Second of I all, know. I've only upped most of my prescriptions. Right. It's fine. <laughs> how is it to work with me? How's that going? Um, uh, it... Um, <laughs> hold on. Take that again. Take that again. Ready? Ask me like that. Okay. Like, wait, ask me. Uh, go, 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 go. Girl, how's working with me going? How is that going for you? Wait, no, do it again. Do it again. <laughs> Girl, how is it to work with me? How's that going? It's so fun. It's really a dream come <laughs> What's great about you is that, um, you know, it's like we always record on a Friday. It's the end of my week. I'm feeling good, you know, and then you just, you know, you really take me down a peg. And I need that in my life because I'm far too cocky and I need that. I need, I need your truth. It's the only situation in in our 20 years together where I feel a little bit like I know more than you do. Like as is so often the case, I'm reminded just how wrong I am. The listeners like you better. That's not true. You're funnier. That's not true. You're better looking. Well, I... uh, Yeah, I mean... But you you live in New Jersey, so (laughs) anyway... You guys, before we get to the show, tell the people how to join the Facebook group and where it is. The only reason you want me to do that is because you still don't know the name of the Facebook group. Guys, come join us on Facebook. Just search Obsessed with Disappeared Discussion Group. We're having a blast. We love interacting with you. It's quarantine. Be crazy. We're also on Instagram at the Disappeared Pod. We go live every Friday night called Friday Night Live, where we talk about (laughs) the case. Patrick yells at me. Daisy brings her goddamn hamster you guys if I have to see that hamster it's disgusting I hate that hamster okay but you bought the hamster that's all I'm saying (laughs) that was the last thing we did before quarantine we did that the day that we had her birthday party and we went out and bought the hamster and then we got locked in the house I've been locked in the house with that hamster ever since girl yeah I don't feel bad for you because if it you know if it were up to me I'd, I'd say like oh Daisy went for a walk and never came back and then we'd have hamster soup for dinner Ah, girl, episode 12, it's called Dark Waters, telling the story of the disappearance of Serena Carlin and Bison Daly. She expected a romantic journey in the South Pacific with the love of her life. They were just really happy to have found their soulmate. But the enchantment ends when her boyfriend's estranged brother suddenly appears. She would describe Miles as just not a very stable or nice guy. The brothers have a troubled relationship. The older brother was resentful of his little brother's success. He had a big chip on his shoulder. For over eight weeks, nobody hears from the lovers. Then the estranged brother shows up back in the U.S. Here's a man that has committed identity theft. And mind you, we still don't know if Brian and Serena, they're alive. This is the mystery of how Serena Carlin and her boyfriend, Bison Daly, disappeared. Can I just say this? In the preview, we hear them say, for over eight weeks, nobody heard from the lovers. And I screamed, no! (laughs) 
Why do people say lovers? Look, as a survivor of 1990s gay culture, when that's what people refer to their, like, spouses or partners as, lovers, girl? Absolutely. It's so weird. Like, when people say that, they're like, uh, hello, hello, and this is my lover. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I've taken a lover. Guess what? I've taken a lover. Ew. (laughs) You guys, Ellen has not been touched sexually in, like, a year. Just, it's fine. She's going to be fine. We're going to get through this together. It's going to be fine. Patrick, you don't know my life. Listen, why do you say that? I actually do know your life. I know. I, just because I enjoy commitment doesn't mean I don't enjoy being touched in places. <laughs> God, have you guys ever had a sex talk with your mother? That's what that felt like to me. Serena is just the most natural person. She was a goofball. She was loyal. She would never play any games or cause any trouble. She's just a loving individual who will always try to make you shine. So, you know, we get all of the stuff they always say. She was really nice. She was a goofball. She didn't play games. But, like, the, her friend Stacy, who actually says something really garbagey in a minute that I really take issue with, she says this really nice thing about how, like, she was such a loving individual and she always wanted to make you shine. What a cool observation for somebody to make about you. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. That is nice. Do I do that? No. Oh. (laughs) You do a lot of really nice things. You're a really, really good person. I say this about you all the time. You are like the truest, most loyal friend. You are really, really, really a very good person. But no, you don't like it when the spotlight is on other people. (laughs) But wherever she goes, both her outer and inner beauty seem to captivate nearly everyone she meets. Initially, it was her her physical beauty, you know, that attracted people. I don't know if you're going to talk in this episode or not, so I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, no, I mean, why not? (laughs) Go, go for it. You're on a roll. Then we meet Serena's mom, Gail, and she's like, basically, my daughter was gorgeous. And I was like, Gail... And she says, like, it was, like, the first thing that people noticed about her was, like, how beautiful she is. And she is beautiful. She's really striking, yes. The mom, Gail, basically says, like, come for the gorge and stay for, like, the really nice personality. And not for nothing, I hate to sound weird saying this, but I kind of got that just even from her pictures. Yeah. Like, she was never made up. She was always just very naturally beautiful. Uh-huh. And you just kind of, like, I always say the eyes are kind of, like, the windows into people. And she did. She looked like oh, a yeah. very- did you Did you make that up, girl? Is that something that you came up with? Okay. You How do are I shut just this off? So <laughs> How do I? You know, there's this expression that I invented that the eyes are the window of the soul. I don't. I mean, it's just a thing that it, like it that. came to me one day. Oh my god! I just meant like you could see her like calmness. Okay, so you know your eyes, how they look like yeah. they're possessed by the devil. Opposite. She was absolutely drop dead gorgeous and did not know it. Another thing that her friend Stacy says, she's like, she was so gorgeous and she didn't even know it. Too much. I just said. Can hot people just take responsibility for their hotness? Can y'all just acknowledge it? It doesn't make the fives among us, myself included, feel any better to know that the tens don't know that they're tens. Just look in the mirror and acknowledge that you're hot, okay? And I don't believe there's a single fucking hot person out there who doesn't know they're hot. Not one. Are you okay? (laughs) I feel better now. I got that off my chest. Been holding on to that since I was about 13. I do feel a little bit better. Yeah, thank you. Okay, great. I'm happy for you. I'm, I'm really happy you got that off your chest. So did you, this, you did watch the episode. Yes, I, I have so okay, many notes, but great, I, I, great. you keep going off into tangents. You keep yelling at hot people. You keep putting me down. You keep reminding me that I'm going to die alone. I lose track. In the weeks before Serena's disappearance, she is vacationing on a French Polynesian island 
with a man she cares for deeply. It's early June 2002 on Moray Island in French Polynesia, and to which I made the note, like, normally in episodes it's like, January 3rd, 1987, 6.42 p.m. Yeah. These times and places are very loosey-goosey. Very loosey-goosey in this episode. When's this one take place? I don't know. Was it June? Yeah. Like, June what? I don't know. Just say early June. (laughs) It was early June. Like, it couldn't be more vague. At one point, we get the location is somewhere in the South Pacific. (laughs) They got a little tired towards the end of season one. They were on a time crunch. They had to let someone go. There was a woman on maternity leave. They were shorthanded. So we are introduced to this NBA star, Bison Daly. Former pro basketball star, 33-year-old Bison Daly, also known as Brian Williams. Years earlier, they met through friends. She really liked him. She thought that he was different, interesting, you know, thought more along the lines of the way that she was thinking about the world. He's gorgeous. He's he's six foot 100. Yeah. Clearly successful. So a little bit. I did some research on his NBA. NBA is the um, National Basketball Association. Basketball is the orange ball that they. Okay, you know what? Never mind. (laughs) He played for the Orlando Magic, the Denver Nuggets, the Los Angeles Clippers, the Chicago Bulls, and finally the Detroit Pistons. So what made his story very interesting is Bison all of a sudden retired from the NBA. We get into that a little more into the documentary, but he was the highest paid player on the Pistons. $36 million, girl. This was a big deal, guys. He just walked away from the NBA at a very young age. He was known as like a free spirit, but just something to remember, guys. He had this amazing career, loads of money, loads of opportunity, and he essentially just left to travel and find himself. So on that front, we find out that he buys a catamaran and he names it Hakuna Matata. After he retired from sports, Bison bought a catamaran in Australia, named it Hakuna Matata, Swahili for no worries. You guys, the narrator decides we need to be told what that means. You guys, the narrator tells us it means no worries, to which I went, oh, really, girl? They were in the office. They were like, Hakuna Matata, I know that means. Wait, Hakuna Matata. It means no worries. It means no worries. It means no worries. Girl, I know I'm in the minority here, but I cannot stand that movie. Do you know what Shakespeare play it was based on? No. Are you serious? Are you serious? You don't know what The Lion King was based on? Do you think that you can out Are You Seriousing Me? Hamlet. Name two other Shakespeare plays. I studied Shakespeare in college. You're, you're barking up the wrong tree. I went to the same college as you, and I know what it means to study Shakespeare at our college, How girl. How <laughs> But he yearned for someone to share his adventures with. And after the September 11th attacks, he convinced Serena to leave her job in New York City and join him. So we're told that Bison convinces Serena to leave her job in New York and come join him. We'll get a little bit more on that later. But basically, Serena joins him in French Polynesia or whatever on October 16th, 2001. Right. Essentially, this is where they go and they um, start falling in love. As corny as it sounds, it looked like his first meaningful relationship in 10 years. So January 2002, they're in Auckland, which is in Australia, you guys. Nope, 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 nope. It's in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? You said it was in Australia. Damn. Do you know how much Australian people hate it when you confuse Australia and New Zealand? Oh, do they? 
God. You want to take it? You want you want to take it again? Don't put it in the outtakes, please. Girl, I can't have the people of New Zealand hating you. I promise this will never see the light of day. January 2000. <laughs> January 2002. We're in Auckland, New Zealand, and guys, the craziest thing happens. In late January of 2002, Bison's estranged older brother, Miles DeBoard, paid Serena and Bison a surprise visit in New Zealand. So Miles DeVord, who is Bison's brother, pays them a surprise visit. We learned that they have not spoken in two years. The announcer tells us he had shown up completely out of the blue. And I went, girl, are you sure? Like, doesn't that take a little bit of like, where are you staying? How long are you going to be there? Like, how did the brother that he hasn't spoken to in two years know where he was? How did he know how to find him in Auckland, New Zealand? I, I have no idea. Someone had to have told someone that he, sw- they swear that they didn't see each other. I don't, okay, I don't like surprises. <laughs> the two were said to be at odds with each other throughout their adult lives. The older brother was resentful of his little brother's success. He had a big chip on his shoulder. We learned that Miles is the older brother. He's really jealous of Bison's success. That's sort of been like the thing that has like been the bad part of their relationship all this time. But he's here. He show, apparently shows up out of the clear blue sky because he wants to patch up his relationship with his brother. And remember that like Serena has like uprooted her life to come live with this guy on his boat. And all of a sudden, Miles, this guy's like deadbeat older brother, is living on the boat with them, to which I just wrote, no, girl. She was totally happy with Bison. She had no complaints about him at all, but she did have complaints about his brother. Because I was like, how many bathrooms are there on that boat? There can't be more than one. Oh, and boys are disgusting. Oh, boys are disgusting. I don't, don't even get... I, the gag reflex on what? That face that you're making right now? Just the... the- the, the pee piddles, I know. the man hair. Oh, men are just, dis- oh, don't get me started. Even the cleanest men are disgusting. Don't get me started. But Serena says when the brothers were together, they just fought all the time. So Serena's mom tells us, you know, Serena was just like not having it. She's like, girls, I'm getting off the boat. You guys work this out. And then like a day later, Bison also decides to get off the boat, to which I was like, so you just, like, gave the boat to Miles? Yeah. He showed up in Auckland, New Zealand to get a free boat, and he did it. (laughs) (laughs) He just sails away, just like, bye. bye. On May 29th, Miles sails their boat from New Zealand to French Polynesia, without Serena and Bison on board. So May 29th, we are told Miles sails the boat from New Zealand to French Polynesia and Serena and Bison are just going to fly and meet him there. Okay, fine. Here's my question. Does he have a boating license? Does he have a boating license and does he know how to get from New Zealand to French Polynesia? I wrote, (laughs) I couldn't do that and I definitely know more than Miles. Yeah, I mean, it's like, Siri. Siri, (laughs) take me to French Polynesia. Siri? Yeah. How does one, like, Google Maps from New Zealand to French Polynesia by boat? Where is French Polynesia? Also, how do you spell Polynesia? You should see the 18 different spellings I have of Polynesia on my notes, girl. It's all very vague. I spelled it (laughs) P-O-L-Y-N-E-S-A. That's what I spelled getting that red thing that red line yeah. that tells you the word is wrong but I'm not gonna go back I know I'm not gonna go back I tried it like four different times and I, I literally said to myself you're just gonna have to learn to live with that red thing yeah it's never gonna go yeah, away I'm not going back no. so another talking head that we have here is Patrick Brine who yeah. is Bison's best friend who also I did a little side google on him do you know who he is no he seems like he's got a lot of money or something he's the founder of Overstock oh my 
God. Yeah. No, he's got a little bit of money. Yeah. But they're best friends. I know he was in love because he would never have let me know that it was a special relationship if he hadn't already decided that it was going to mean something. It was going to go somewhere. How do they know each other? Do they ever get into that? No, he just keeps calling him his best friend. The thing that I will say about Bison is that he's got these two friends in this episode that seem like down bitches, as you yeah. as you refer to like Kathy. You know, as you refer to like those other women in the other episodes. Absolutely. Like, there's Kevin, his business manager, who is so awesome. And this guy, Patrick, who like really just like loves him so much. Almost a month later, on June 24th, Miles and the catamaran catch up with Serena and Bison already on Moorea Island in French Polynesia. By the time Miles arrives in French Polynesia, Serena and Bison have been there for a month. And a couple of things happen at once. Miles' girlfriend, Erica, is going to come to French Polynesia. And at the same time, Miles and Serena and Bison are all going to sail to Hawaii together. So Miles is just going to sort of like go with them on the trip to Hawaii and then fly back to French Polynesia to meet the girlfriend. Right. And Erica Weiss. Oh my God, this is ridiculous. We get her name, but her face is blurred out. But we get her first and last name, to which I said, girl, do you want a quick YouTube tutorial on anonymity? (laughs) What's the weirdest thing? I don't want you to see my face, but yes, you can have my first, last, and social. And the way that they shade her face out, you can see exactly what she looks like. I could draw a composite picture of her. Miles is supposed to leave the catamaran. Although he's ambivalent, he says he has his own plans. A rendezvous in Tahiti with his girlfriend, Erica Weiss, who shared her story with NBC News, her face in shadow. My question to him was, are you planning to go with them or what have you? And he said, well, yeah, I'll probably sail there with him and then just fly back to Marae and meet you. Miles invites himself back onto the catamaran, once again injecting himself back into their lives. So the whole thing of, like, Miles joining Serena and Bison on this trip to Hawaii, Serena's like, no. Like, this makes Serena really mad. Because, like, again, she's flown across the world to be with this guy who she's totally in love with. The dirtbag brother has been around for a really long time now. She's just over him. I was in touch with her uh, the day before they were supposed to leave. That was the first time that she expressed, like, I just want this guy to go away. And so they're they're all en route now to Hawaii. And they tell us, on board was Serena Bison, Miles, and this this French captain, whose name I can't say. I can't, I can't say it. Announcer, could you say the name for me? Bertrand Saldo. Bertrand Saldo? Yeah. Yes. Let's see if that matches up. Let's see if that matches okay. up. Bertrand Saldo. Well done, girl. Very close. We see Serena is calling Stacy, saying like, hey, girl, we're heading out. It's all good. Everything's going fine. She just left a message. We're leaving. I'm going to send you an email with the satellite phone information, and I'll see you in Hawaii. You know, it's just uh, don't worry if you don't hear from me for a while. The next day is July 7th. And around 8 o'clock South Pacific time, Serena also calls Kevin Porter, who is Bison's business manager. But you can tell they're all friends. You can tell, like, he's his business manager, but they're all pals. And Serena, they talk for three minutes. And Serena's like, oh, Bison wants to talk to you, too. But, like, right before Bison can get on the phone, the call drops. And Kevin Porter, who's, again, one of the good guys, uh, he doesn't really think that's a weird thing. Losing the satellite phone connection was common, so Porter wasn't surprised. But it would take another eight weeks for anyone to realize 
that Serena and Bison have disappeared. We're going into commercial here, and the announcer tells us the call drops with manager Kevin, and then it would be eight weeks before anybody realized that Serena and Bison had vanished. Wait, do you know when they went to commercial what the commercial was for, at least on my end? No. It was for Maine. (laughs) It was a commercial for Maine. I was like, no way! My favorite! So we get to their love story. We get their little back love story. They met in LA while he was playing for the Clippers and she just kind of wasn't really into dating, you know, a famous NBA guy, but they did keep in touch for almost five years. The left turn of the story comes when they they kind of give us a little backstory on Serena. This is crazy. Like Bison, Serena had her own brushes with fame and disillusionment. One night while living in LA, she went to a nightclub and met the musician Prince. It was a friendship. You know, she met Prince. Yeah! You know. At a nightclub. So then we learn that, like, not only do they become friends, he just really likes her. And, like, she's invited to, quote, come work at his concerts. Right. I was like, what does that mean? I'm like, is she working the vending machine? That's what I said. I said, could this be more vague? I know. It was so (laughs) weird. But then she goes on tour with him to Europe. And then, like, this is the thing. The equivalent to, like, you know, that $36 million, I don't really need it. I feel like I'm selling out. I'm just going to walk away. She is on tour with Prince, hanging out. And she's She's like, you know, my job responsibilities aren't really clear, so I quit. One time I was at a Dunkin' Donuts and the woman said I looked like Prince. That's not a lie. That's not a lie. That's a real story. I swear that happened. The only meaner thing that has ever been said is the 87 million times I've been told that I look like Elton John, girl. No, the woman goes so nicely. She goes, do you know who you look like? I was like, who? I was so excited. And she said, point blank. Prince. (laughs) If I get nothing else out of making this podcast, that story was worth it. I'm going to find it on Facebook. I'm going to find it on Facebook. I'm going to find the memory of the day the woman in Dunkin' Donuts said I look like Prince. And I said... (laughs) And I looked her dead in the face and I said, the dude... And I just grabbed my Boston cream and I stormed out. Hey, you guys. um, I gave Ellen three minutes off. It's just me for this ad because... This isn't really an ad. This is me talking to you about truly my favorite true crime podcast called Crime Writers On. I'm sure you've all heard of it if you're listening to this. It's the first true crime podcast I ever loved. They sent me talking points. I'm mostly going to throw them out. I'm just going to tell you what I love about the show. The show is hosted by my dear, dear friends, Rebecca and Kevin and Toby and Lara. They're journalists and investigators. And what they do is review true crime stuff and tell you if you should watch it or listen to it. They were the original true crime review podcast. I started listening to them about five years ago, and I literally remember standing in my kitchen, like, scrolling in my feed, like, doing that thing where you swipe your phone down to make it refresh on the day their new episodes came out because I was that obsessed with it. I still am to this day. They discover true crime podcasts and documentaries you maybe have never heard of, and at the same time, they review the stuff that's the most popular thing on the charts or on TV. They give you that thumbs up or thumbs down review to tell you if you should watch it. They are not afraid to tell you if a thing is garbage, which is probably 
probably the thing that made me love them the most. Because honestly, with all the stuff out there, you really, you need to know what to listen to and what to watch and what not to listen to and what not to watch. Not only are they incredible podcasters, they're great friends, they're wonderful people, they are deeply, deeply embedded in the true crime world, and I love them so much, I'm so honored to call them friends. They really helped me get my start in podcasting. I would not be doing this were it not for them. And so you gotta go download. Make Crime Writers On the thing you download every week. You can find Crime Writers On anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can learn more about my favorite people at crimewriterson.com. So it's in 2001 after this Prince thing that Serena comes to New York City to work with a friend in real estate. And of course, that's when 9-11 happened. But what 9-11 did for Serena and a lot of people was it just kind of it forces you to reprioritize. Yes. So Bison got in touch with her again. He was sort of, you know, in a place and he invited her and said, hey, do you want to come out to the middle of the ocean? And she's like, yeah, I'll come out for two weeks. Yeah. So she goes in October and like this is where we get like 10 minutes of like they were both in a place in their lives where they were really ready for a relationship. They'd known each other as friends for a long time and it was like this really beautiful love story. Like they reconnect in the South Pacific. The world was on fire after 9-11. Like everything in the world felt crazy. And so they probably were like, this doesn't feel crazy. Like this is actually like a beautiful thing in a time of chaos. Right. A beautiful thing in a time of chaos. Is that going to be the name of your autobiography? I can think of a couple other ones. (laughs) In January 2002, when Miles first tracked Bison down in New New Zealand, he was unemployed and broke, claiming he wanted to fix their relationship. Six months later, on July 6th, Miles is still around, sailing with Bison and Serena through the Polynesian Islands on their way to Hawaii. This is kind of where the backstory catches up to where we are now, because it's sort of like right around that time was when the brother, like, out of the blue shows up in Auckland, New Zealand, and Serena and Bison have been there for a little while, and they just start, like, island hopping, and I just have, don't you guys get sick of just laying around on the beach? This The whole timeline is, like, seven months, and it's like every shot we see of them, they're lying in the sand, they're sitting on a boat, and I'm like, I've been on vacation. I like vacation. I also like getting back to my life. No? Just me? I mean... (laughs) If I'd agree with you, we'd both be wrong. You know what I mean? Back in California, Stacy expected to hear from Serena. She usually called on my son's birthday, which was July 11th, and we didn't hear from her. You know, I was a little upset, but I thought, you know, I'll just wait. Serena also fails to wish her mother Gail happy birthday on July 12th. Back to the timeline. July 8th was her best friend Stacy's son's birthday. No call. Stacy was like, well, I was kind of annoyed, but she was in the middle of the ocean. July 12th was her mom's birthday. No call. Again, you know the ocean is vast. <laughs> And so, like, you know, the mom is like, I haven't heard from her for a while. And everyone's like, she's fine. Don't worry about it. And the mom was like, no, no, I really haven't heard from her a while. And finally, Stacy's like, you guys, it's the middle of August. No one's heard from them in like two and a half months. We need to figure out what's happening. Towards the middle of August, I was like, okay, we haven't heard from her. And that's a little strange. And so this is when the mom calls Kevin the business manager. She calls him twice. Yeah. The first time Kevin's like, it's cool, it's cool, right? Stop being a hysterical woman. Patrick. And then, so <laughs> Kevin's like, okay, you know what? You're right. Let me do some digging, just some easy stuff. So he calls the bank first. Spurred by Gail, Kevin calls Bison's banker who reports that there's some suspicious activity on Bison's account. So there's a check written out for $152,000 to a mint 
in Phoenix, Arizona. But like the way Kevin tells the story, he's like, I called the banker to see if there was any suspicious activity. And like in Kevin's telling, it feels like the banker's like, you know what, girl, there totally is suspicious activity. I've been waiting for you to call and ask me about it. Yeah. To which I'm like, banker, could you have made the call first two weeks ago, you think, girl? No? <laughs> Come to think of it, I've been meaning to call you. I've been meaning to call you. Because, you know, Brian hasn't written a check in four years. They say that. Yeah. And he wrote a check for, uh, what was it? What was it? It was uh, $152,000. Porter calls Certified Mint, a gold dealer in Phoenix, and talks to its owner, Bill Haynes, about a $152,000 order for gold coins. And like, yeah, so Kevin finds out the check is made out to this place called Certified Mint in Phoenix, Arizona. So Bill Haynes was the owner of this mint, and for the check... Patrick, what did he want? You guys, the person who wrote this check wanted gold coins. Girl, what the hell is going on? I I had no idea. I I mean, the Madeline Murray (laughs) O'Hare story was the first time I didn't know. I know. But that's because gold coins, they're untraceable. They can be carried. They can be handed off. Why the coins? Here's the thing. My whole thing with the gold coins are, yes, they're untraceable. But if you created a business that sold murder kits and somebody came to you and was like, I'd like to buy one of your murder kits, please, I would think that you would say, sure, let me call the cops first. (laughs) If somebody is trying to buy $152,000 in gold coins, you should sell them if that's your business. You should also call the cops. It's never going to be a good thing. I mean, (laughs) Haynes told Porter how the deal was brokered. I received a phone call from a man who asked me if uh, we could handle a large order and delivery of gold coins. And then he asked me, he said, do you follow basketball? He goes, well, do you know who Brian Williams is? And I said, yes. And he said it was Brian Williams and he wanted to buy some gold. The owner, Brian Haynes, tells us he got a call and the caller identified himself as Brian Williams. He literally says, I'd like to buy $150,000 in gold coins. And by the way, girl, do you follow basketball? And the guy's like, I do. He's like, do you know who Brian Williams is? He's like, I do. He's like, that's me, girl. That's me. You're talking to him. Right. So it should be noted that Bison changed his name. His his name was Brian Williams. Yes. And he changed his name to his Cherokee name. Oh, is that right? Is that where he gets the name? Yeah. So in 1998, Williams legally changed his name to Bison to honor his Cherokee ancestry and the first (gasps) person from his mother's side of the family to be enslaved. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was him getting in touch with his Cherokee. Not in the episode, you guys. You're getting some extra bonus side-googing. Melon Marsh. He received a check with Brian Williams' name on it, which cleared. But the merchandise hadn't been sent out. But so, yeah, so like what, what we learn is that the check is cleared, but the gold coins have not been sent. And so Kevin is like, don't send those coins, girl. Yes. We got to get to the bottom of who made this request. Some shady shit is going on, but there's so many dumb mistakes made, which great. So there's a phone number on the check. Does anyone remember checks? They had a phone number. <laughs> So I know he gives the number to Kevin and the number that appears on the check is a Florida number. So Kevin calls the number. He listens to the voicemail and says, hi, this is B. Leave a message. And you guys get ready for the scream. I got answer machine. The voicemail came on and it said, yo, this is B. Leave a message. When I heard that, my heart just sunk. Miles's voice. 
it just chilled me. I said, this low down son of a bitch, because in my mind, he's like stealing from his brother. He's stealing money. It was Miles's voice. Kevin's got some great one-liners for the rest of this episode. He goes, that low down son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's saying, like, obviously, this guy, Miles, is trying to steal from his brother. So, like, just to connect all the dots, this guy, Miles, has written a check out pretending to be his brother, Bison, to get this, like, $150,000 in gold coins. You guys, that can only mean one thing. Bison is dead, girl. Right. So, after the call, Miles calls Kevin back. Yeah. I'm thinking this is, you know, he's just trying to cover his tracks. He's trying to, don't make it look weird. So, he says, like, hey, have you heard from Bison and Serena? And Miles just says, nah, I haven't heard from them in months. But like the bottom line is no one has sent the gold coins yet. And Miles does not know that anyone is onto him. So Miles calls the guy in Arizona. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to come and get them in person. And the cops, the, the local cops are like agree to like be there when he arrives. Right. But it should be said that Miles is still showing up to pick up the gold coins as his brother, Brian Williams. The police department arranged to be here when this so-called Brian Williams was going to show up. And I said, good, have him, have him come pick it up and make sure that whoever's there to arrest his ass. Make sure whoever's there to arrest his ass. I love this guy. <laughs> Kevin, I love Kevin. I know. Kevin's not messing around. And so, like, that's what happens. Like, Miles walks in. There's, like, the cops are hiding. How many cops are there? 19. <laughs> that seems a bit excessive. That's for another day, but... <laughs> That's it like- was the only crime happening in Phoenix that day, girl. So, yeah, he walks in and he signs one of the forms pretending to be his brother. So it's a fraudulent signature. And they arrest him. The buyer is arrested for forgery. Miles is carrying Bison's passport and his credit cards. He's taken to police headquarters for questioning, which is videotaped. They arrest him and they take him downtown for questioning. And we see it. We see the, the police video. I know you love this shit. I love an interrogation video. <laughs> During the investigation, they ask him point blank, do you know where they are? Did you have something to do with the disappearance? Now, I am obsessed with studying body language. He has his hand on his head. He doesn't move. He is so non-reactionary. He appears to be cool as a cucumber in the beginning of the interrogation. He doesn't move. He's just like, nope. No. (laughs) So five hours of interrogation goes by. The story basically goes like this. This is the first story he gives. Miles claims he's been sent by Brian to bring back the gold coins for a reason he can't reveal. He says, Bison needs this money for something. I can't tell you for what. It's super secret. So I was sent by him to get the gold coins, bring it back, and he's basically saying, no, see, look, this is why I have his passport. Which doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any... I was like, what are you talking about? This guy is like flying by the seat of his pants. He's coming up with a story on the fly. You can tell he put no thought into what his story was going to be. And then he does the best thing. He's like, you know what? He calls him KP. That's for Kevin, Kevin. Porter. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Kevin will vouch for me. He says that Brian's business manager and friend, Kevin Porter, or KP, could explain to them why Brian couldn't pick up the gold coins himself. And I was like, oh, bitch. <laughs> you don't even yeah. know Kevin is in. 
in on it. You had to be a big shot, did you? You had to. Oh, my God. He's just so stupid. I love it when people are stupid. Porter, who's flown in from Detroit, is led into the interrogation room to help investigators get more information from Miles. So they're like, oh, really? Kevin's going to clear your story? Cool, cool, cool. Behind door number three. I know. And then Kevin walks into the interrogation room. Can you imagine being Miles in that moment? Like, oh, shit. And also, Kevin did not dress up for this interrogation. No, he was not. Like, gym shorts and a t-shirt. This is so crazy because we're watching it in real time. Miles is saying to Kevin, girl, if you can get me out of here, I'll tell you everything. They're in danger. They're in trouble. This is money. I'm bringing the money back to get them out of trouble. Kevin goes, is it the mafia? Is it pirates? I said, well, is it... Is it mafia? Is it gang? Is it pirates? And I'm imagining, like, Captain Hook. Like, I know he's talking about, like, terrorist pilots, but I'm thinking, like, are they going to have to walk the plank, girl? So... In true form for the shit parade that is the justice system, the DA says he clearly stole $150,000 from his brother. They have a tumultuous past. He knows something they're not telling us. He knows they're in trouble. He broke the law by forging his signature. Forges their signature. He was the last one to see him. But you know what? We got nothing. (laughs) But incredibly, the district attorney orders that Miles be released. The DA said to let him go. You don't have enough things to to keep him on. And this twat waffle DA <laughs> lets him go. Girl, can we take a quick break and talk about where you come up with this shit? Remember Douche Canoe? We meet the assistant attorney general, Jared Garuth. But he is horrible. I it was he's the most callous man. First of all, I mean like he's just a sociopath. He's like <laughs> hardly nobody noticed they were missing and if they had, they were probably glad they were gone. <laughs> Jerry, like you, I hope you investigate my disappearance, you right. apathetic douche canoe. I don't. It just. I don't know. I don't know where. I did just, you just say twat waffle? I don't know. Is that twat I don't know. waffle? I just like twat waffle. I don't know. <laughs> Delete it. Edit it out. Do you hate yourself? I hate myself. I don't know. Just like, what are you twat? <laughs> that I should think of another one. Is twat waffle good? I don't know. I'm gonna get canceled. Well, it wasn't good before, but you know what? It's great now. Now we got a lot. We got a lot to. We got a lot to work but with. Just like the DA's, like ah, he just he did this and he did that. He did that, but yeah, no, I got nothing. We really got we nothing. We can't yeah. hold them. We can't yeah, hold them. Anxious to get out of town, Miles heads to the airport. Porter follows him. So he leaves and he goes to the airport and Kevin follows him to the airport. And again, Kevin just says, Kevin walks into the airport. and He goes, I just walked up to him and I started choking him. He said, I was ready to kill his ass. And we get there and he's still not telling me. And I just went up to him and I started choking the out of him. At that point, I was ready to kill his ass. Kevin is just one of those people where he's like, you don't fuck with my friend and you don't fuck with somebody else's money. I love Kevin. It was like that lady who came for you on the iTunes review i was ready to, i was ready to go what i'm not scared so miles mid choking is like girl just come with me to mexico and kevin is like what he said come with me to mexico and i said what he says because uh california and arizona they carry the death penalty why the hell are you worried about the death penalty kevin is like what are you talking about what are we talking about the death 
penalty. And why would you think that I would go with you anywhere? And why would you think that I would corroborate a fake-ass story? Like, I think that Miles thinks that he and Kevin are way better friends. (laughs) To really reduce this to, like, its purest form, I think that Miles has overestimated how much Kevin likes him. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Like, have you ever gotten an invitation to a wedding and you're like, oh, I didn't know we were that close. Okay, great. (laughs) Then Miles catches a plane to San Jose, California. Wait, this is my favorite line. He says... Then Miles catches a plane. Like <laughs> like it's an Uber. <laughs> Miles catches a plane to San Jose, California, and Kevin never sees him again. Girl, we're back to Erica, the girlfriend, who is like in shadow, but you can totally see her face and we get her full name. Because she's here to tell us that when Miles got back to San Jose, he like drove straight to her job for two reasons. To get her to drive him to Mexico and to like tell her what happened to to Bison and Serena in the car. He said it was early in the morning. Bison woke up, came out on the deck area, and Miles said, yeah, I'm just enjoying my last day of sailing. And Bison said, don't say that. You know you're, you know you're welcome back anytime you want. And Miles said, he just looked at him and said, don't lie to me. You know, you never wanted me to come here anyway. And a fight breaks out. Like, this story is total bullshit. But in this total bullshit story, they get into a fight, and then the captain tries to break it up. Miles said an argument intensified into a brawl. And that the captain, Bertrand Saldo, tried to intervene, but Brian pushed him away. And Serena jumped onto Bison's back, and Bison, thinking it was Saldo, punched her in the face. And sent her head first into a davit on the boat. After a few minutes, I guess Miles just finally said to Bison, she's dead. According to Miles, Bison turns around and punches his own girlfriend in the face, thinking she's the captain, and in so punching her, basically kills her. Right, she hit her head on something, and 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 this is, again, this is what Miles is telling shadowed out face girlfriend. Right, and then the captain is like, well, she's obviously dead, we need to call the cops. Bison is like, no girl, no cops, takes a wrench and beats the captain in the head with it until he dies. He And then Bison, according to Miles, is trying to get Miles to help cover up the story. So Miles goes and gets a gun and shoots Bison, and now Bison's dead. Three people are dead on the Hakuna Matata. So obviously to me, Miles killed all three of them. Right. And they say three people are dead on the Hakuna Matata. And I was like, I girl, I don't need your irony right now. Absolutely not. I do feel like the narrator fought them on that. I feel like he didn't want to do it, but he was yeah. contractually bound. Yeah, he's like, this seems in poor taste to me. <laughs> Just read it. I don't feel good about this. I've got a lot of worries. No, just say it. Just say Hakuna Matata. But they're going to know we're being ironic. People love that shit. They don't love that shit. Just say the lines. Say the lines. Do I have? Say the line. Christopher? What? Say the lines. It's been a long day, Christopher. We all want to go home. Just say three dead people on the Hakuna Matata. Come on, girl. Now, three people are dead on the Hakuna Matata. Miles tells his girlfriend he tied on weights and threw Serena, Bison, and Captain Saldo overboard. Yeah, and so, like, Erica drives him to Mexico, then goes home to Northern California, and, like, the next day she woke up and she's like, you know what, I'm actually going to go tell the cops. Yeah. This doesn't, this is not sitting right with me. They'll keep me anonymous. They'll shade out my face. I will give them my name, however. That seems... Do you guys want my middle name too? 
No, I think first and last should do it, girl. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, no, no, no. Just and this is anonymous, right? <laughs> <laughs> like the disappeared people are like, does she know what anonymous is? Just, I don't think she knows. Yeah, can I just check the spelling to make sure that you've got the the correct spelling of my full name? No one's going to be able to figure out who I am, though, right? Right. She tells her girlfriend, they're like, girl, aren't you nervous? They're like, no, they're going to black out my face. It's fine. Like, she's still not connecting the dots. I don't think she knows what anonymous is. Reese reports what Miles told her to authorities in Northern California. Soon, the FBI is involved. Special Agent Elizabeth Castaneda, who works undercover, is the case agent. So, like, an investigation is launched. We meet another person who does not want their identity revealed, but, however, tells us exactly who they are. Goes into shadow. This woman, Agent Elizabeth Castaneda. You cannot show my face, okay? <laughs> but it's C-A-S-T-A-N-A-D. Castaneda. It is the weirdest. So, I know. <laughs> we find out from the investigation at Tahiti that the Hakuna Matata has been mysteriously named the Arabella. Like, you can still see, apparently, the Hakuna Matata out outline on the boat, to which I said, I feel like you're misusing the word mysteriously. The Hakuna Matata has been mysteriously repainted and renamed Ariabella. Okay, thank you, because it says the boat has been mysteriously been painted. And I went, girl, three people were murdered on that boat. They're trying to hide the boat. What's mysterious about that? Mysterious implies that something is difficult to understand (laughs) or impossible to understand. No, they're just trying to hide a boat that they killed three people on, girl. Is that mysterious? (laughs) That's how you do that. Antithesis of mysteriously, (laughs) sir. Because what the copy should have read was, we found the boat and obviously they painted it and changed the name of it to try to hide the fact that it's the murder boat. <laughs> Can we just call it the murder boat? No, that doesn't have a ring. Not the murder boat. Are you saying motor boat or murder boat? I can't. I don't know. What are you, what are you saying? Bison's friend, Patrick Burns, still talks to Miles regularly, trying to lure him back to the United States. Miles has no idea Byrne is helping the FBI track him. I said to him... Miles, you can believe me when I say I can come up with half a million dollars in a suitcase. So the FBI has launched like an international manhunt. And meanwhile, Patrick, the friend, is still in touch with Miles. And he's like still saying to Miles, like, girl, we're in this together. I'm going to get you the money so we can go and get them back or whatever it is that you need. But he gets him to agree to meet him. So the plan is they're going to meet in what's that place called? Tijuana. They're going to meet in Tijuana. I'm like, Santa Juana? No, that's how do you say that word? Tijuana. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata. (laughs) It means no worries. For the rest of your days, it's Hamlet. But Byrne isn't the only person Miles has been talking to. He's also in touch with his estranged mother, Patricia Phillips. According to her... They speak for the first time in two years. So they're going to meet. They've got a plan to meet. But like in the meantime, Miles calls his own mother, who he hasn't seen in years. And they have this like lovey-dovey call where Miles is like, do you love me, mom? And the mom was like, I swear I really do love you. And by the way, uh... that I know that guy, Patrick, that you're meeting in Tijuana tomorrow, he's working with the FBI girl. Don't go meet him. His mother told him, you know, Miles Patrick is cooperating with the FBI. And then she told me that. And I said, Jesus, Jesus, Patricia, why you shouldn't have said that? And she gave me the speech about, listen, nobody knows what happened on the boat and no people have to treat Miles as they would Brian. And we can't know who's at fault here. Look, bad 
planning all around. I don't know why anybody told the mom that Patrick was working with the FBI. That seems like bad planning. The mom telling her son, also bad planning, but her defense is like, nobody really actually knows what happened out there. And, you know, I'm afraid that you're going to mistreat my son. We have to treat him the same way that you would treat Bison. Right. So he calls his mom again. We actually, and she doesn't pick up and we actually hear the voicemail message. Yeah. He says, I love you. And so that's the last call that he makes. The next day, September 14th, Miles is found unconscious and brought without ID to a Mexican emergency room. Just random people find him unconscious somewhere. And so they basically like treat him at the local hospital. They drive him back to San Diego where they take him to like another hospital. And no, everyone misses the fact that this guy's wanted for murder. He laid in a coma for several days and it wasn't until... Uh, he was fingerprinted that they determined actually who he was. He was non-responsive, and doctors indicated that they did not believe he would wake up. Doctors suspect Miles took an overdose of insulin. You guys, he overdosed on insulin on purpose and he dies. Who cares? Bye. Yeah. He killed three people in the middle of the ocean, and nobody's talking about that boat captain who was just, like, doing his job. Right. The boat captain, and we didn't get a lot into Serena either. It's really this, I mean, the, the documentary really focuses on this Cain and Abel kind of relationship. I mean, it's sad. I mean, the only evidence was still left on the catamaran. They did an investigation, and the story that Miles told secret anonymous not girlfriend Rachel yeah. was not corroborated at all nothing that he said could be proven that story just didn't happen it was a lie Miles killed those three people something else happens that is worth mentioning that I just got so angry at just myself as an emotional just human being basket case the words basket case I'm sorry just say say that again louder for everyone so that they can they can hear you <laughs> on October 12th Bison and Miles are memorialized in Los Angeles they're memorialized together. I had to count to 10 and then just get angrier about that. I know. You know, listen, we can't put ourselves in the shoes of a grieving mother, but he did it. Right. He killed his brother and they got memorialized together. And I mean, this case is to this day labeled as a homicide. Oh, is it really? Yes, yes. If you look it up, it is labeled as a homicide online. Obviously, there was no case, but that is what they're saying. They are saying that Miles killed his brother, Bison and Serena and the boat captain and the fact that they are memorialized together is just very very sickening to me yeah and like it ends with serena's mom and i love her she says an aspect of this that is an acceptance and it lives absolutely side by side in parallel with the part of this that I don't accept at all. That makes me feel crazy. And I was like, yeah, I totally get that. Like you, in order to move on with your life, you have to be able to say like, I understand that this happened and I accept that that is the reality. But at the same time, how could this have happened? And she says, and I've had so many conversations since her death with people who've lost people close to them. Every person I've ever talked to has had some visitation that said, I'm still with you. Well, I've had more than the cursory one or two, but it doesn't buffer me from the grief assassin that comes to get me every now and then and just shuts me right down again. The grief assassin. Oh my God. And I'm like, if I were to live through this, I would be that guy that from time to time you just found crumpled in a ball in the corner, unable to think or breathe or or ever stop crying. Constantly. I've said it a couple times, not knowing, you know, when someone is still missing and not knowing where they are. Yeah. But there's a, a facet to this story that is also equally upsetting because... 
not knowing really what happened and not recovering a body. I mean, there's just... I know. They never recovered the bodies, you guys. Because it was in the middle of the ocean, and the ocean is... Vast. <laughs> Don't laugh. No, but it's true. That's very sad. And and I, my heart goes out. That it is a, it is a solved crime, I guess. Quote. Yeah. But it's not. And the gre- and the mother was so well spoken. Her name was Gail. She was beautifully well spoken. I wish actually we could have focused on her murder more. But obviously we focused on the men. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah. Say something funny to end the up, girl. Um, twat waffle. <laughs> <laughs> We did it. Look, the next episode is the last episode of this season. Can you believe we are almost done with season one? No. I don't. I, I, <laughs> I was like really trying to find words there. And no, we're, we're th- almost through season one. It's so crazy. Are you having fun? Are you having fun with me? I'm having such a good time. Oh, my God. This is so much fun. I love doing this with you. I'm really loving watching you really get into this community. Like, I'm loving watching other people's reactions to you because I've known you for so long. Which make, was going to make me say, get in the Facebook group, you guys. We're both in there a lot. Ellen's in there a lot. She's so funny in the group. I love Facebook. I love social media. I've always loved social media. I think it's... I know. I think, you know, I hate it for all the reasons that people hate it. But I love connecting with people that I ordinarily wouldn't. And listen, I'm in quarantine, baby. I know. What else am I doing? Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. Did I get it right or did I get it wrong? I'm just so proud of you. That was like oh, truly from the bottom of my heart. I'm proud of you. <laughs> And then on Instagram, we're at the Disappeared Pod. Follow us there. Our Instas are great. But every Friday night, we go live at 6 p.m. Eastern. I get a little drunk. Ellen yells at me. I make fun of her. We're doing that thing now where we're talking about like weird cases that are in the news, which I love. I could do that all day long. Yeah. We're going to talk about Unsolved Mysteries this week. I'm obsessed. And what else? Oh, you're, you got the swipe up. You guys, you did it. Ellen got a swipe up on Instagram. Now you're patronizing me. Let's really mess with her. Go unfollow her. Make it go away. <laughs> you are a horrible, you're a horrible person. That's, that's, that's what I'm going to use the swipe up for. I'm just going to connect people to like, you know. To what, girl? Uh, I, I was going to say you, you, something. You didn't even know where you were going with your own insult. No, I really need to workshop and come back with a better idea of where I'm going to go. I'm my, Basically, I'm like, my level of sarcasm has now gotten to the point where even I don't know if I'm kidding or not. So... You're welcome. <laughs> Ellen is at Ellen Marsh, Instagram, Twitter. I'm at Patrick Hines on Twitter, at Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram. We are edited by Henry Lavoie. Oh, he's so good. Oh, and all episodes of Disappeared are available on ID Go. First season's available for free. You guys go get it. Go get it. We love you. Thank you guys so much. I just, I adore, I adore you all. I adore, not you, not you, not you. <laughs> please, please. Keep talking to your public. Don't let me stop you. I will turn this podcast around. I will turn this goddamn podcast around. All right. I love you. I love you. Bye. All right. Bye. You're such a jerk. Tell the people what you did to me last time I called you. Tell them what you did. You tell them what you did. I answered his FaceTime while I was getting in the shower. What? (laughs) What? You just do it to make me scream. And what did I do? Okay. He had a three-act play in his face. He looked at me confused. Then registered that I wasn't wearing clothes. Then he got offended. Then he got mad. Then he hung up on me. It was all right in front of my face. (laughs) 
Are you saying motorboat or murder boat? I can't. I don't know. What are you, what are you saying? Do you know what motorboat means? <laughs> <laughs> he just did it, you guys. <laughs> One time when I was bartending, there was this really cute guy who was um, a regular, and he was like, you could tell that he just like had no luck with the women. And one, his name was Ryan. He was so adorable, and he would like sometimes just come in and get really, really drunk all by himself, which isn't sad. That's Aww. a fine thing to do. You guys, no judgment. Sure. And so one day Ryan had just had way too much to drink. It was like ten o'clock, and I was like, honey, I gotta, cu- I gotta cut you off. And he's like, okay, and he's drinking his water alone. He's drinking his water alone, and he goes. Motorboat! <laughs> and drink his water. He just, but alone, he goes, Motorboat! <laughs> oh, not a visual medium. You guys got to see the face. I'm hilarious. I will say this. Like, you look fantastic naked, so it's fine. <laughs> but, like, I would never do that to you. Not because I think it's inappropriate, but because, like, I don't want to look at my body naked. <laughs> But whenever I just hear that name, it's like, oh, it just makes you jostle I know. a little bit. Anyway. I'm sorry, girl. It makes you what? Jostle? <laughs> is that, what? Is that a... It just was so vast. It was just so vast. <laughs>